Welcome to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast, and I'm your host, Cheryl Stroud, speaking with Ginger Downey, the co-owner and vice president of R&D for Dermamed Solutions. Ginger holds a Master of Science degree in nutrition and is a certified nutrition specialist. In addition to being an expert nutritionist, she has a personal motivation for being interested in skin care. Ginger has an autoimmune condition that affects her skin and needed skincare products that were clean and natural and would not irritate her. So she used her professional background as the basis for DM Skincare to help people with similar needs. And Ginger continues to devote time to working with her patients in her private clinical practice. I'm excited to hear what Ginger has to share with us today. So let's get started. So how did you get into nutrition to begin with? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I always was worried about um, weight. So my mom was always obese, like really kind of morbidly obese. She had, you know, a good 70 to 100 pounds to lose most of my life. And she was a small framed woman. And that was I was just always worried about her. And I would go to bed at night. I would always pray, you know, that mom can lose weight. But I didn't really understand the connection between the food we were eating and her weight. Um, And we were really poor. And so what we ate was, you know, kind of whatever she could put together so and and i look back and it wasn't that much food like we had a can of spam and i'd have to slice that as thin as i could for the four of us to eat Mm -hmm. um but then after that we have a big bowl of ice cream (laughs) you know so it just it wasn't really healthy food and so i was always interested in nutrition but it wasn't until after the birth of my second son when i developed um, a horrible like mystery autoimmune condition that um, I was just going from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they kept giving me prescriptions for um, antidepressants. And I kept saying, I'm not depressed, I'm not depressed, I don't feel well. And then I just kind of really got into wellness and nutrition and exercise and stress management. Um, and I was able to really reverse that autoimmune disease just through those lifestyle changes. Um, and, you know, I've had all kinds of little autoimmune things crop up over the years since then, Mark's now 21, but, um, I would say that without nutrition, I probably would have been taking that script for, um, you know, the antidepressant and gaining more weight and feeling, you know, less and less healthy. So I feel like it's heal or heal thyself, <laughs> you know, so I just decided I, I would learn how to heal myself. Yeah, that's fantastic. So how did that um, segue into skincare? Yeah, such a, an interesting leap I made there, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, it took me a lot of years to become a nutritionist. And while I was going to school nights and weekends and online and raising my three kids, I was um, working all kinds of part-time jobs. So I had a full-time job in human resources, um, and I ended up going part-time with that and um, doing all sorts of things. So anyway, I was kind of always interested in business because I had a business background working in HR for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I graduated finally with my my degree and then my CNS, um, I thought, well, what can I do this both in the business world and utilizes my nutrition skills? And so I started Googling around and seeing what was there. And I found this company called um, DSM Nutritional Products. And they're this great big, like, you know, multi-billion dollar company who does a lot of things. Um, so they make ingredients for like vitamin ingredients. So if you drank milk and it's fortified with vitamin D, it probably came from DSM. Um, they make ingredients for skincare, which is interesting. And so the group I was part of was called Personalized Nutrition, and we were part of an incubator unit. And our job was to create a from the ground up personalized nutrition program, which we would sell to companies and they would use to help their employees get healthier to reduce medical premium. So it was really about the employer saving money, but also about making people healthier. So we developed a, a website with a tool, a back end with health coaches. We did biometric screening events. It was really awesome. We were having a blast. And about two years in, um, the incubator was reevaluated by DSM. And they said, you know what? We don't think we want to go down this path anymore. We're going to sell your business unit. Mm-hmm. So this guy, Mark Kinsley, and I, who had been working together, it was a small team of like uh, maybe eight of us. Mm-hmm. Mark said, you know, you know, I think... I want to leave the corporate world and I want to buy my own company again. So he had bought and sold businesses in the past. He said, you know, would you and your husband be interested in investing in investing with us? And I said, well, I don't think so. You know, I really don't have any money and I don't know anything about owning a company. And he said, well, oh, it's easy. You know, you put your house up as collateral. <laughs> you can use your kid's college fund. Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to make all this money. And so I said, okay, <laughs> you know, and believe it or not, my husband at the time, Agreed. He's like, you know, we've never done anything exciting or risky. Let's just go for it. 
So the idea was we were going to try to buy the program that we created from DSM and then put it into a company already in business where it fit. And so our biggest struggle um, in the business aspect of our personalized nutrition program was proving return on investment to employers who bought the wellness program. And you do that by showing that people have lower blood pressure, cholesterol, and in turn, that can be equated to lower healthcare premiums. But it takes years and years of data to build that case. And so you're always like trying to sell and resell and, and keep them, you know, interested. And Mark and I thought, well, wow, think about the spa industry. You have people who are self-motivated and because vanity is so motivating, they want to look better. So they're going to engage in the wellness program. What if we bought a company and added this wellness program to it? So we made our bid to buy our wellness program um, and it was denied. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, what are we going to do now? And Mark said, well, I'm working with a broker. I'm just going to like throw companies your way. You read them. Tell me if anything sounds good to you. So he's sending me like nursing homes and home health aid companies. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then he sends Dermamed over through an email and says, I don't think this is it, but take a read. You know, I open it up and I find a company that's making equipment for its estheticians, a uh, skincare line, and they're missing the most important thing because, you know, what is our skin but a reflection of our gut health and a reflection of what's going on inside. And I'm like, ding, 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 this is the one. This is the one we should buy. He's like, well, I, you know, I'm not sure if I'm seeing it, but, you know, kind of bring me along. So I, I walk him along and he said, okay, you know, so we, we made the offer and we negotiated and we put our houses up on the line and <laughs> did all the things he said and drained our bank accounts. And we bought Dermamed in 2011. Um, and at that time, I think I had bigger dreams of making wellness, um, like that wellness program element part of our company. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, that has never actualized because once you get into a company, I think you just don't know what you've gotten into until you get in. Right. <laughs> and then I realized, wow, I have work to do first. Wow. So um, if I can backtrack with you, you mentioned that our skin is a reflection of our gut health. So can you just explore that just a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah. So um, you've probably heard of leaky gut. Um, so many people who are, you know, a little bit more in the integrative mind. It used to be that leaky gut was something that only like the quacky people believed in. But now leaky gut is actually scientifically validated and, and proven. So what happens with leaky gut is we have these nice tight junctions um, in our digestive tract where, um, you know, food um, can be broken down into its very small, um, you know, biochemical parts by certain enzymes and, and you know, functions of our body, and then it can pass through. Um, but what happens with leaky gut is over time with exposure to, you know, toxic things, GMOs, you know, different kinds of um, just unhealthy food, these junctions become loose and proteins can pass through them unbroken down into their individual amino acids. And so I like to think of it as um, when my kids were little, they had the shapes order and like the circle would fit through the circle shape and the square through the square. But if you try to put the square through the circle, it wouldn't fit. Well, it's as if someone like squished the square through the circle. So that like passes through and the body's like, what the heck is that? You know, that is not, you know, whatever tryptophan or whatever amino acid that I recognize being that shape. So I'm going to create an immune response to it. I'm going to I'm going to make that an allergy for you. I'm going to create a response. And that typically is an inflammation of some sort. And so with this leaky gut, you know, people eventually develop all kinds of inflammatory conditions. And it is just really common that if someone has an inflammatory inflamed gut, that their skin is reflecting it. So they will have, um, you know, skin rashes. They will have perhaps they'll have acne because their microbiome has been impacted, um, you know, all kinds of just uncomfortable skin conditions, which are always tied to leaky gut in some way, in my experience. So like psoriasis and eczema are probably in that category as well? For real. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. So psoriasis is, you know, it's an autoimmune condition. It's not the only component to it, but absolutely there's um, a, a trigger, and especially with eczema. You know, when we look at kids who were raised on farms or raised with pets or raised where they could put dirt in their mouth and, you know, kind of live a, a regular kid life. Um, and also those who are raised with pet and, pets in particular are shown to have a much lower incidence of eczema. And what's happening with that is they're creating this really diverse microbiome. So they're exposed to all kinds of good and bad bacteria, and it makes them stronger, so to speak. Um, and so they are able to fight off, you know, some of those bad invaders that come in. So they don't have as much of a, you know, an opportunity to get the leaky gut or to trigger the inflammation of eczema. But these kids who are using hand sanitizer all the time and who aren't allowed to get dirty 
and are eating, you know, God only knows what kind of, you know, plastic packaged tubes of food all day long, um, they tend to have higher incidence. And also what's really interesting with that, and I know it's not a, a nutrition course, but you know, it's fascinating to me. Um, so two things. So if you are born vaginally, you have a much lower chance of getting eczema because mother's fecal matter and fluids get inside the baby's mouth and inoculate them with this really healthy bacteria. Um, and so that is really protective. And in fact, some women now who have to have a C-section, um, they're actually swabbing, you know, some of those fluids into their baby's mouth. And it's, you know, you can Google that. That's for real. Amazing. Trying to get them that really helpful bacteria. And the same thing with the breast and breast milk. It contains really health, helpful bacteria that establishes this strong immune system in the gut, which is tied to healthy microbes. That's amazing. I never even knew that. That's... I know. It's just... Crazy. When I do a health intake and I go back to where you were born vaginally or C-section and where you bottle fed or breastfed and, you know, I try to create my web of who is this person. Sometimes they just look at me like, well, I'm not really sure why you're asking that. But, you know, and then we go down the line and I'll find out, oh, you know, you were C-section, bottle fed baby, you know, raised, you know, with a mom with hand sanitizer in your hands all the time. And chances are they're going to be the ones who have these inflammatory skin conditions. So... Um, with all that knowledge that you have and bringing it to Dermamed, there's not a lot of companies that even I don't believe in as an esthetician that seem to talk about nutrition with their skin care. I know that people are getting into like the supplement game, but that's different than the act, what you're doing with your product. Can you explain, you know, like your vision of why you're combining those two elements? Sure. Yeah. So um, if you were to talk to my partner, so Mark and I are kind of as opposite as two people can be. Um, he's the finance guy. You know, he's the num he runs this in the warehouse and the inventory and all that. And I'm the one out doing these kind of things and writing and, you know, teaching and educating. Um, so we have this debate all the time over the years, like, OK, Mark, I really would like to do ABC with wellness. And he'd say, well, how is it going to make us money? And as try as you know, it's very difficult without a giant capital investment at this point to um, create something in the wellness space, nutrition wellness space, that is going to make you money in skincare. So for me, the way, the reason I think a lot of people um, don't incorporate it, I know that some do, is because number one, if you don't have a degree in clinical nutrition, um, then you really shouldn't be out like giving this kind of advice because it's a scope of practice issue. You could be sued, you know, because you can do harm. And then secondly, so what I do is I write articles for our trade journals. I educate at the trade shows. I do these kind of things. We do little webinars, right? So I'm always teaching, but I really can't make money in that. I tried creating like weekends where I would go to a spa and do wellness for the, the staff. And, you know, in all these years, I've never had anyone. Um, once I say you'd have to pay for my travel and my time, no one can do it because I don't think the estheticians have that much capital to invest. So I keep on doing what I do because I think it is so vitally important. Um, and I also write about scope of practice, which is another topic, you know, we'll have to touch on later. Yeah. But in my dream world, you know, if someone out there wants to invest with me and they have half a million dollars sitting around, like I envision like a world of personalized nutrition and personalized skincare recommendations. Um, and so for me, we stopped selling supplements in our line. Um, a couple of years ago because I did um, a two-year course of study in nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics. So that's really looking at your genes and how you very specifically will react to certain, you know, vitamins and maybe you'll have a what's called a SNP or an impairment in the way you metabolize a vitamin. And what it did was change the way I practice completely, where before I would say every person, like I can't imagine anyone I didn't want on 5,000 IUs of vitamin D and magnesium and omega-3. And I had a list and you were all going to, and methylated bees. Here you go. And then I do this course of study in, in nutritionomics. Um, and also I was practicing with my family members. So going along my husband, my children, looking at their genes and trying things. And I learned that some people are over methylators. And if I give all these methyl groups, these methylated B vitamins, I'm going to trigger anxiety in someone. Or I may send a vitamin, you know, down a pathway I didn't intend to send it down, and I'm going to cause some kind of inflammatory condition. And I really backed off, and I thought, like, in good conscience, I can't just sell supplements on a shelf unless I'm there to give the personalized recommendation. Um, and, yes, they were the way we could make money with nutrition, but I couldn't in good conscience do it anymore. 
So in my dream world, I would be able to like look at your health history, your web of information, look at your genes, and then make a personalized um, nutrition recommendation for you involving supplements or not, depending on your needs. Um, but then how cool would it be to make personalized skincare recommendations based on your genes as the roadmap? I mean, dreamy, right? That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So I would love to do that someday. But that, so I think a lot of companies certainly, maybe like me, they start to go down the path of like, well, how can I make money doing this? Um, conversely, what I do feel very strongly about is that, you know, our skin is just a super absorber of all kinds of things. And I know that we can absorb nutrition through our skin and we can also absorb toxicity and toxins. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about our, our skincare line, um, I think I want it to be nutrition for the skin. So I want people to have good dietary nutrition, but also good topical nutrition. And so I know that it's like vitally important that everyone have vitamin C and certain antioxidants on their skin every day. And then at night, I think it's vitally important that they have vitamin D, you know, and other like lipid protective ingredients on their skin every night. So I can make a really nice um, skincare line using vitamins and botanicals that support nutrition for your skin from the outside in. I'm fascinated by the genetic part. I I don't think I've heard anybody talk about genetics in skincare yet, um, or read about it um, in any kind We're of depth. Yet. <laughs> yeah, but that's just amazing. So, can you um, explain it in I guess layman's terms? What part of the genetics would we be concerned about or looking for that would be affected by the skincare products? I guess I have to say this, that first of all, let me go back and say I did a two-year course of study, and I could probably do 10 more, and I don't even think I would even be like on the cusp of understanding all of nutrigenetics, nutrigenomics. I mean, there is just so much there, um, and I think that the research that has been done so far has been really looking at certain health conditions. So I think that we have not yet, as scientists or the people who, the smart people who really study this as their life work, I don't think they've even done that work yet. Um, and the other thing I want to say, too, is so when I get a gene report from someone, I may say, okay, go get an Ancestry.com kit. Um, so you can do it in an expensive way. I can use an expensive testing service and charge them $600. Or I can say, go get an Ancestry kit. Um, when you're done, get me your raw data file. I get this big old whopping data file. Mm -hmm. And I have some software that I can massage it and I can pull out, you know, information. The only information I can really counsel on is when there's been significant study on a certain gene that we have some kind of reliable information to share. So let's start with that. So you've probably heard of like MTHFR. It's like, you know, an impairment in the way that you metabolize certain B vitamins. Okay. That one is very well studied. Everyone knows about MTHFR. Um, another one is COMP, C-O-M-T for anxiety. We know that, you know, if someone has these impairments in their genes, they're going to tend towards anxiety, and we can offset that with certain cofactors and vitamins. Really well studied. Because I think skin is um, something that hasn't been studied yet, I just don't think we have the data yet to take that deep dive. However, there's tons of information on inflammatory conditions that I can look at and allergies and things. So I feel like maybe it's not the personalized skincare that I want now, but I think there's some information that can be gleaned. And so, you know, the way we look at it is, okay, your genes are just a map but just because you have the gene, say, for breast cancer, it doesn't mean you are guaranteed that you're going to get breast cancer. Um, Correct. If you have the gene for anything, I always say to people, the body is so amazing. Um, so we use it as a map, and then we have to look at what are your habits, what do your labs say, what is your, you know, what's going on in your life, what's your health history. Um, and I would say to people, sometimes you can think of it as when you are taking a trip and you have your maps running in the background. And you're all set and you've got an hour to go and then um, an accident pops up and it says, oh, redirect. You know, you now have an hour and 21 minutes because you're going to get off this side road. So I think the body can sometimes do that. It can say, oh, look, there's an impairment in the way that this gene um, is metabolizing. You know, I'll just say magnesium. And then the body says, um, but you know what? I bet I could figure out a way around this. I'll get off the exit and go a different way. And then your body can work around it. So I have to say that I have looked at GM reports and sometimes been alarmed thinking, oh, my gosh, this person is going to have terrible elevated homocysteine and heart disease risk. And then I get their labs and they're perfect. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, you know, how could that be? And that's when, you know, I started to dig a little bit more into that, like how the body is just so resilient. Um, so, again, it's not an exact science yet. It's 
you know, something brewing, you know, kind of I'm toying within my head, but we're not there. Right. It's something that's coming in the future that might be helpful. Like, for instance, I'm just thinking on the top of my head that a lot of skin conditions are due to stress. So if you're saying that um, you see a gene that is there for um, anxiety mm-hmm. and if a skin care product can be absorbed in the skin to help mitigate that anxiety to keep it um, at bay or at lower, then there's a less inflammation um, chain reaction, which causes some breakout or rash or hive or acne. So it's it may not be directly linked. You just nailed it. Right. It might not be directly linked, but it may be. If this is that map I'm talking about, right? So right. someone has some really strong genes for anxiety. So what happens when we're anxious? Our cortisol gets elevated. And what happens when our cortisol is elevated? Our sebum production increases. When we have more sebum, we have more um, comedones or we have more pimples, right? Right. So that's one thing. Number two, um, you mentioned hives. So um, there's all these mast cell disorders. So these disorders of our allergic reactions where we go into overdrive and it's becoming so common. I can't even tell you how many people I'm treating for mast cell disorders, histamine disorders these days. Um, so we see that going on and we know, okay, well, if someone is getting hives as a result of stress, what can we do in the diet? There's tons of things we can do in the diet to slow down, to downregulate that mast cell, rea- mast cell reaction. It might be quercetin. It's an antioxidant supplement, um, or it could just be not eating foods that stimulate mast cells, but you're right on. It's, I'm, I'm sort of like my mind's blown a little bit. <laughs> you I know. know. Like it's like Mine really too. Neat. That's why I'm saying. I said, all right, we are not selling supplements anymore uh, because I, my mind was blown. And I'm like, I can no longer in good conscience assume that every person who takes that supplement will have the same reaction because I don't know. Well, and do you think that's the same across the board like for all supplements? Like what about fish oil that's supposed to be anti-inflammatory or those kind of things that still could cause a problem in someone? For most people, it's okay. There's this small percentage of people who actually have a gene that we can identify that when they take omega-3s, they actually have an inflammatory response. So, you know, just who knows? I mean, we don't really know why that happens in some people and not in others. But when I learned about that, that was on my list for everyone. Um, However, it doesn't happen if you eat salmon twice a week. So it's really interesting how like when you give things in like big doses, like supplements, for example, um, you know, like when we're just eating food, we get a certain amount of vitamin C or, you know, the B vitamins, whatever magnesium is in our seeds or nuts. It is absorbed and utilized differently than when we give this big dose. So the body's not used to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I always think of like biochemical pathway. It's like when you set up dominoes like in pattern and then you knock down that first one and you watch them all, you know, go. So a SNP or an impairment in a gene is where, you know, sometimes you don't have it quite aligned and it stops. Biochemical reaction. And this is just going on in your body like by the millions all the time. So that one gets stopped. But then what happens if you throw so much substrate or material down the, um, the pathway that you just flood right over it? You know, these are just unknowns. And so I think that um, while I love supplements and they're very helpful and needed, I think what I've learned is sometimes you can trigger something you didn't intend to trigger by taking high doses of things that the body is not used to having in high doses. Well, there's two things I've learned from you just now in this part of the conversation is one, that we always are learning something about our profession, but there's always something more to learn and that we can always, we, we're allowed to change our mind once we learn more or newer information from what, you know, previously learned, like you and the supplements. So it's not that it was a horrible bad thing. It's just that we now, you've learned that there's something better, which then the second thing I learned is sort of like back to basics, right? Is this, if we just eat the good foods that we're supposed to be eating the best we can without, you know, getting caught up in the current world's offerings of all these processed foods that would be so much better off just overall in general. Actually, I love that, you know, beautifully said. So back to the first part of what you said, I think, you know, as human beings, um, but also as any kind of person who is mastering a profession or attempting to, like the best thing that we can do is to be humble about, you know, what we know and don't know and continue learning. Um, and so I think I have no problem when any professional comes to me and says, you know, I used to think that, but I changed my mind and here's why. Mm-hmm. Respect, like great respect for that. As opposed to the person who says, no, this is how I've always done it and it works. And, you know, we're just going to keep doing that. And they aren't open to, you know, the learning of new things. Mm-hmm. But um, 
whole foods diet. Eating the rainbow is, um, I give a really great talk on eating the rainbow where I should go through the different colors in each of the plants and what they represent. So for example, like green plants have something called chlorophyll and orange ones have um, beta carotene and red ones have anthocyanins. And then I talk about each of those phytochemicals um, that are, you know, coordinated with color and how they do something so different and unique and special in the body. And so if we're thinking about how can I the best um, I can in terms of nutrition, eating good, organic, colorful fruits and vegetables and trying to really think about the rainbow, you know, you can't possibly get the rainbow every day. That's very hard. But I try to, when I look at my shopping cart, say, okay, do I have a big old portion of green? Is there some orange in there? Did I find some purple? Did I find some red at the garden center or, you know, wherever I'm finding my vegetables that day? Because by doing that, I really do ensure, oh, and then not forgetting about like tans and browns. So mushrooms and onions and garlic, and these are just full of amazing, you know, compounds like sulforaphane, for example, in garlic and onions. So good for people with acne. It's anti-inflammatory. Um, so and also for um, cancer prevention. You know, so amazing things that we can just find in our in our food if we eat a rainbow of of colorful plants. But if you can't do that, and if you're one of those people who, you know, I've got boys in their twenties. Yeah, I, I have them on some supplements because I know they're not eating the rainbow, right. <laughs> unless it may come in a beer can. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just you just made grocery shopping much more fun for me because I, I over you know if if I just shop the rainbow, uh, it'll be much more pleasant than overthinking all the things I'm supposed to go shop for in terms yes. of the item. You know, right? Shop the rainbow and then get home and just Google. I love to do that when I go to the garden, uh, the the farm stand, and there's something totally new for me. I love just to take it home and say, well, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to have to go look it up. And someone has cooked it in, you know, a thousand different ways. So you're going to have fun with it. Yeah. So this sort of nicely leads us into, so we're talking about clean eating and now we're talking, we're going to go into like, uh, how you have taken great pains into making your line a clean line. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Um, a lot of people ask me this because we are not a certified organic line. Um, and so, you know, I'll speak to that first. So in order to be a certified organic line, um, there's a very strict set of um, standards you must follow in terms of buying your ingredients and um, also formulating your products. And so for us, I use a lot of organic ingredients, but not every single one is. And I use some ingredients that would not be OK in a certified organic line. So I think when you're in, in creating back bar clinical products and peels, <laughs> and they want to get some work done. Um, I think that's where, you know, I differ a little bit from organic lines in that, you know, I'm going to get some work done. But what I did was I had to put a stake in the ground. So I looked at like categories of things that were not going to be in our line. So um, petroleum, sulfates, phthalates, these things that have been shown to be endocrine disruptors and cancer causing, artificial colors and fragrances. Artificial fragrances, maybe things smell good when you put it on your skin, but boy, it is so harmful. People don't realize how harmful they can be. So I looked at those main categories and then I, there's a list of like the 14 like dirty chemicals. And so, you know, we don't include those 14 dirty chemicals. And then I, I do look at every single ingredient. You know, I work with our formulator um, and my manufacturer and we really talk about, you know, is there science that says, um, you know, this is harmful or not. And then there's all this debate. So like silicone is one of those, like silicone can give your products this really nice, like um, silky feel, like a dry touch feel. And so I personally don't have any problem. Silicone comes from sand. The silicone that I buy comes from sand. So um, I do use silicone in my line and some people don't. So anyway, that's the kind of difference between an organic line, which is certified, never going to have these certain things and kind of my idea of what I call clean clinical. So I'm going to include some things that some people might question and maybe it won't be for them. But for me, I felt comfortable. And the reason um, I think that is because, you know, our skin is such an amazing absorber of everything that we put on it. And we can even like my bioidentical hormones, I put those on my skin and they're soaked in. Um, and I can get topical magnesium if I have sore muscles and I can put that on my skin. I can take my vitamin D through my skin. There's so many things you can take transdermally through the skin. And when you think about that, um, so like the FDA has said, oh, um, sulfates are fine. Phthalates are fine because you get such a minute amount of those that it's not going to really be a big deal. But there's a study done, it was a number of years ago now, um, where they found, I think it was by the Environmental Working Group, I don't know, environmentalewg.org. 
and they, they published the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 and the Skin Deep Cosmetic Database, great organization. So they did this study, like how many um, products does the woman apply to her body before she leaves the house for work in the morning? And it was something like 17, right? For everything from shampoo to conditioner to all the things you put on your face to your toothpaste to, I mean, just think about that, your body lotion, your powder, whatever it is you apply to your skin. Um, so maybe if the FDA has decided that this little bit of phthalate is okay, what happens when all 17 things have phthalate? Now what have we put into our bodies through our skin? Mm. And so I do think it's just as important as getting good nutrition is keeping the toxic stuff out of our skincare. I know this might, after all the big things you just talked about, I'm going to circle back to the fragrance. Um, estheticians are notorious for the first thing they do when they grab a product is open it, smell it, and then put it on, and then feel it. So can you just circle back of why fragrance is so bad for our artificial fragrance? Yeah, so we, our, our products do have fragrance as well, but we only use natural aromatic extracts or essential oils, or the smell comes from whatever that ingredient was. So if it's green tea, you know, there's just certain things that have a nice scent to them. So one individual fragrance can have as many as 20 to 100 ingredients in it. So just to get one certain scent. So maybe it's jasmine, for example. Um, like jasmine, the, the ingredient list for jasmine is going to be line after line after line after line. So there's all of these chemicals going into that chemical itself to make the jasmine scent or the cucumber melon scent or whatever it may be. So, you know, we have just found that these things are really irritants. They're irritants to both like our eyes, our, our, um, our nasal passages. And so have you ever walked by someone in the um, grocery store who just has tons of perfume on or even the perfume counter? Certain people are extraordinarily chemical sensitive. And um, when they're exposed to certain chemicals, they just flame up. And so that's what's happened. That's the reason why we don't use synthetic fragrances in our products. However, essential oils, they may bother some people too. Don't get me wrong. Like some people can definitely have a sensitivity to a natural scent as well. But, you know, in my perspective, just keeping the scent as, as small as possible is really helpful. Not only that, but think about what you're layering. Like, I don't know about you, but I use a serum, I use an eye cream, I use my lotion, and then I use my um, mineral SPF, right? Yeah. So if all of those had a different fragrance, I don't know what my face would smell like, but it would be interesting, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. And, and um, am I correct in remembering that the FDA doesn't require uh, products to list the ingredients in fragrance so that you really don't know what's in the fragrance? You're absolutely so. correct about that, yes. Mm-hmm. So that can be problematic in and of itself because then people don't know what they're putting on their face. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah. On the business side of things, how are you able to market for success? Yeah, that's been such a moving target. Um, it's changed so much over the years. Um, I When we first started, it was 2011. I think it was like three years into that. My business partner and I started having like this really strong debate. And he has the, the marketing undergrad. We had this really strong debate about social media. And I kept saying everyone should have Facebook and I think we had Instagram at the time open at their desk. And they should be like participating and posting and sharing. And he's like, that's ridiculous. No social media in the office. Like we really but it heads about this. And I said, I really think we need to invest there. And he said, no, we need to invest in print. So we had this debate going forever. And I remember I went to a round table, this group called the Femme Fashionals in Philadelphia, and we went around the table and we each got to present like our issue. And my issue was that my partner wouldn't give in and, you know, let me invest in social media. So I always laugh about that now when I'm like, Hey, Mark, remember that social media thing we used to argue about? Like, it was so the way to go. But I understood his hesitation because he was raised in the era of print ads, and we were spending a lot of money Lots on of money. print ads, you know, because he's like, if we're not in those trade journals, they're not going to know who we are when they come to the trade show, which is also another whopping amount of money mm. to participate. And, you know, in the end, it's like buying search words, SEO, and investing in, you know, some Facebook ads, some Instagram, um, you know, we've done all kinds of um, Pinterest now, like, wow, like big bang for your buck. Yeah. Um, and in my experience, I have found that, you know, our, our biggest strength is in our relationships with our customers. So if you produce a really high quality product, and if you have a really um, great um, level of customer service and relationship with your customers, they keep coming back and they talk about you. Mm -hmm. And in this world of social media, that'll make or break you. 
So, you know, we've made mistakes. Of course we have. And if we screw something up, I'm telling you, <laughs> they're brutal on yeah. social media, right? Yeah. Um, but if you make it right, if, you, all right, we made that mistake and whatever happened to that product, and we didn't know it separated, we're working on it, we're reformulating, whatever. If you own it and have a good relationship, it, it just goes differently. But it, it'll turn like that on social media because everything's real time. And, you know, within a day, something go viral, good or bad. And so anyway, that's where we've been now. I'm really I would love to know, like, what's next? Uh, I wish there were a magic ball that could help us know, because we do a lot of debating. All right. We've got X dollars this year. How should we spend those on marketing? Um and right now I have this phenomenal marketing person working with us who's been really super helpful too. So I think that's it too. When you're hiring um, talent, you know, really do your homework and find someone who um, is like got their finger on the pulse of what's now <laughs> really helps. Yeah. Do you have any ideas? Or thoughts? I'd like to hear what you have to say too. <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of ideas, but it, it that will be um, the next time we talk to each other because there, there's going to be <laughs> more. Episode. Yeah, another episode. Um, and then uh, I wanted to ask about in Shelley Hancock's book that I read that you have a mission to uncover the brilliance that comes from the comfort of being in your own skin. So mm -hmm. tell us about um, how that mission came about. So when we brought Terramed, we sat down, we pretended we were a big $13 billion company, like where we came from. And we sat down with the, the management team and we said, all right, we're going to create our mission statement. We're going to create our um, kind of our vision statement. We're going to create our core values, et cetera. And so Mark and I both said, like, we don't want this to be about vanity. That's really important to us because we're coming from a wellness space. I'm coming from a wellness space and a helping people space. Um, and at that time, I really, here's where I've changed. I thought, well, if you go to the spa, like you must have money on your hands. Like, you know, only people who pamper themselves go to the spa. Like I just didn't, you know, I grew up very blue collar. You know, I just didn't know. And then I got into this industry and I realized, you know, there's so much power into feeling comfortable in the skin you're in. So that could be I have acne and I have cystic acne. I'm uncomfortable and I don't look my best and I'm, I'm hiding. I'm, I'm putting my hair in front of my face and hiding those pimples. I'm beginning to wrinkle and I'm really embarrassed um, to look at people anymore. Um, or maybe it's I have psoriasis. I have, you know, one of these other inflammatory candida and I have terribly inflamed skin and I feel uncomfortable. So I think that we really talked about like, how do we, you know, what's the line between vanity and, you know, doing something good. And I realized like it's all one because if, if someone is vain and you make them feel good about themselves and now they have more confidence, they put their shoulders back, they're more likely to go do good things in their life and maybe for others, but for themselves, they're going to live a better life. And so I, I lost that feeling that it was about vanity when I realized anytime I make someone feel good about themselves, I just did something really great. So that's where it came from. Yeah, and that's really nice because I, I think that a lot of women don't really, we all are told like you need to take care of yourself, but we really don't. We really do it for someone else. Mm -hmm. So that was just a nice statement of feeling great and brilliant on the, in, in the skin you're in. Whether it's 50-year-old skin or 20-year-old skin, like whatever skin you've got, you got to feel good in it, right? Yeah. I know that you are part of your R&D team there in Dermamed. A lot of estheticians create their own skincare products in their kitchens. And that may or may not be a good idea. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's so much fun to dabble and play. Like, I will say, like, I appreciate that. So the times that I have gone to our manufacturer and spent time with her, I love it. It's so much fun. But also, um, when I first started in this business, um, my undergrad is pretty much chemistry with nutrition. It's a chemistry undergrad. So I thought, well, I, you know, really formulating skincare is about chemistry. Let me go learn. And I realized it's a pretty complex chemistry. And so I just did like a two week crash course um, where I went and I was trained and I learned so much that I never would have known before. And this is what I've learned. Um, number one, you want to buy like the highest quality ingredients that you possibly can clean and, you know, really validated that, you know, good manufacturing processes, et cetera, that you can find out where they were sourced. Secondly, you want to look at the science. And if the science says that when you um, apply a scorbal uh, vitamin C to the skin, that you can reduce wrinkling, um, you know, by X percent, that it has to be with 10 percent 
active ascorbyl vitamin C being applied to the skin. And so I say, whatever it is that you are, you know, whatever ingredient you're working with, look at the science and then use that percentage. Because so many companies will say, how correlated with endothelial law? And they're putting it in at like 0.01%. It's not going to do a darn thing. But if the research was done at 2% and you put it in at 2%, then you can say, hey, look, the research says blah, blah, blah. And you can make those, those claims. So I think... Those are two things. And then what I learned um, is that if you don't incorporate them at the right pH timing in the formula and temperature, that it could all just be ruined. Um, so, like, you can have a group of ingredients. Say there's 10 ingredients in a product. And if you don't pay attention to the order of operation, like when you were solving a math problem, remember my dear Aunt Sally multiplication, you know, you go in that order, um, that you totally ruin the batch. And sometimes you learn the hard way because you make something, oh, it's lovely, it's perfect, and then um, you go to do your stability testing, and it all falls apart in three days. So it's separated. And then you go back as a scientist, and you're like, okay, now where did we make a mistake? Oh, this ingredient had to be added with the other fat-soluble ingredients at a temperature of X. And when you do that, now you stabilize it. So I think if you're doing it, if you're working in your kitchen, I don't think you're doing stability testing, whether you have all the ability to read the pH and the temperatures like you do in a lab. And then secondly, um, if you're not doing microbial testing, then you shouldn't be uh, using or selling those products. You've got to, you know, use natural um, antimicrobial um, ingredients and preservatives. And that can be something as simple as like vitamin E. Like there's plenty of antioxidants that you can use. But until you've tested it and then pulled that culture out, you know, every day for, you know, the required period of time, you're not going to know if, if you're not growing microbes in your product and not possibly giving someone acne. <laughs> Yeah. So do you think that someone's opening themselves up to a lot of liability when they're making their at-home products and selling it to people? Oh, I absolutely. I wouldn't do it if it were me. But I don't know if it's even allowed. I guess it's allowed, but FDA regulates us. So I don't know. That's interesting to me. I mean, we're heavily regulated by the FDA, um, my manufacturer for the skincare side. So if they are manufacturing things in their kitchen, I don't know how people are actually getting away with that. If someone wanted to make their own product line, what would you recommend would be the uh, best course of action for them to take? Like if they have a recipe that they are dying to create because they read about something, and they're like, you know, I just need to use this ingredient and, and solve my problem with my clients. What would be like the course of action and path that they could try to make their own line? Yeah, that's great. Um, so I think finding a really nice partner to work with. So um, I work with the manufacturer for my products. Um, she's a, a PhD uh, pharmacist, so she really understands chemistry. Um, and so what you have to understand is, number one, you're going to have to invest in the formula. If you want to own that formula, that it's yours and you can go anywhere with that formula and it's yours, then you're going to have to pay for the formulation. So, you know, have about five or $10,000 in your pocket just to do that piece. Um, and then know that the minimums are, um, they're not low. Like it, there's always a minimum order quantity when you go to begin manufacturing. And so, you know, are you prepared to invest in having 1,000 bottles of your proprietary formula? So that means inventory or cash out of your pocket on the shelf into how you can sell it. So just kind of be prepared for that. And then I think um, I have broken up with probably eight manufacturers over the years before I got to where I am now. And so um, really spend time with this person that you decide to go work with and get to know them um, and talk, get references from others before you start putting the big amount of money in um, that you're going to need to invest. Because I, uh, I got horror stories, <laughs> really horror stories over the years um, until I found this wonderful person I'm working with now. Yeah, so that's really great because I think I like to always share with the estheticians out there all the the pros and cons of everything so that they really can make informed decisions when they decide to go forward in something that they're doing. And I would encourage, I just want to say, I would encourage them to like live that dream. Um, and if someone wants a recommendation for me, the person I'm working with, I would be happy to share, you know, in private uh, message or later if they want to email me, I'd be happy to share that information because she's awesome. I would want to ask her permission first. Right. But um I can definitely give them my recommendation, but I say go for it. I mean, if you have the capital to start, go and do it right. Like, you know, really wait until you have enough money to do it right. Like the packet, everything you want, make it yours. Yeah. So you have a really beautiful holistic side of yours, you with the nutrition and then a very scientific side of you. So how do you take the scientific and make it holistic? 
Yeah, so I think um, I would start out by saying, um, how do you define holistic, right? So I define holistic as incorporating the whole person or all the inputs of a person. So in um, functional nutrition training, we're learned to, um, when we do an initial interview with someone, so I think about this as an interview with the person I'm going to work with or as me planning a project. So I'm going to start a new um, skincare product or something. So what I do is I look at the whole web. And so the web to me is where the holistic nature comes from. So the web is everything that goes into you being you, for example. So I would ask you about how you were born and where you breastfed. I would ask you your health history. If you had your genes, I would look at those. I would ask you about the health of your family members. I would ask you where you live. I would ask you what you eat. How do you sleep? How how much stress are you under? How do you handle that stress? Um, what medications and supplements do you take? Do you walk? You know, are, are you um, exposed to anything toxic or have you been over you know, your life? And so each of those pieces of the web that kind of surround you has science behind it. So then after I got all of the pieces, there's a holistic, then I would take the science around each of those great science around sleep and um, um, collagen production, right? Great science around stress and uh, elevated cortisol and, and breakouts. Great science around toxic exposures and, and kind of pull the science into it and weave it together. So um, a lot of times my saying uh, to estheticians is become a scientist and stop being consumer. And I love what you're saying about the holistic and their science behind it. So that when they're meeting their clients, that they're doing that their intake form and their skin consultation, their skin analysis as their holistic approach. But then they really have to think about the science that they learned behind it so that they can treat the skin. Absolutely. Yeah. So now earlier in the um, conversation, you've mentioned sons. Do you have any daughters? Um, I have, uh, so I have three sons. Um, they are 24, 21, and 14. Um, and then I remarried about, I got divorced, remarried about four years ago. And I also have another son who's 23, 24 now, and a stepdaughter who's 16. So finally, there's a girl a in girl. the mix. Because <laughs> um, my next question is something that I have three boys as well, no girls. And, uh, but I'm always concerned that as women, we should encourage girls to get into the sciences so that they really can change the things that we receive as women in terms of products. Because I sometimes think a lot of things are created by men and that, and what we need is not in their head at all, not in a bad way, just that it's just not in their vernacular to even understand what a woman wants, how she uses it and why she uses it and then design a product around it. So uh, how do we get girls into the sciences? What do you think would be a good way to get them to start liking the sciences? Yeah, so um, really great point. And I think um, you're right on. So liking the sciences. So how do you make anyone like anything? Well, you have to go to what their interests are, right? So I think about when I was 10, I wanted to be a forest ranger. That sounds crazy, right? And I never would have thought that I would have been here with these advanced science degrees, right? But then thinking back on it, if I look at what you need to be a forest ranger, well, you have to understand um, environmental science. You have to understand, you know, biology, microbiology. You know, there's so many sciences involved. And maybe at 10, if someone would have, like, helped me to understand all of those pieces, I would have been interested in the science behind it, right? The forest floor and, and how that, you know, a tree falls and it disintegrates and it gives the minerals to the soil and et cetera, you know, all of the different microbiomes and life cycles that live there. So when I think about, you know, a young lady and perhaps she's interested in cosmetology or, or skincare or something, but she's not thinking of it as a science. What I would do is I would take her someplace and help her understand the science. Like, is there a place where she could go online and learn or actually visit in person a skincare manufacturing lab and see what I just explained, you know, where it really matters that you put this ingredient in at a certain pH and temperature. And then what she could start to understand is, wow, like, you know, my biggest challenge is, you know, I'll get like a, a big pimple and I want to get rid of it fast because I want to go to the prom next week. I would love to develop a product to treat that pimple, but not dry out my whole face. Right. And then you could say to her, well, you know, let's look at the science behind it. And then she could you know, follow that path. So I think figure out what people are interested in. Um, and then there's science behind everything. I just can't think of any field where you can't, even in the mental health field, there's so much science there, right? Um, everything. 
everything has science as its basis. And I think you can make it fun for them. And one thing I'll say about my business partner, Mark, um, he's very, um, sometimes I, I think he's a little nutty. Like he gets these outrageous ideas. And I'm like, what, Where, what are you thinking of? And like, why are you doing these things? And I've come to really respect and understand now the way he thinks. And so his daughter is now going starting college this year, which is very exciting. It's his first child going to college. Um, her name is Jada. And Jada has always been interested in the arts and art and like fashion and design. And he would just call people like in Philadelphia. He called this woman who had her own clothing line and said, can my daughter just come shadow you for a day? Because she's really thinking this might be the career that she wants to choose. And People always said yes. <laughs> he would bring her there and she would spend the day and it would help her understand like if that was really where she wanted to go. And his son said also, uh, dad, I think I want to buy that restaurant when I get older and I'm going to, you know, make it really great. And so he went back to the kitchen and he asked the, the owner, can my son, you know, watch for a little while? And so I think, wow, like I never thought to do that with my kids, but what an awesome way for them to really understand what's behind that like dream of being whatever. You know, they're dreaming that they want to do. Well, that's how I reached out to you. I just was like, oh, I read about you in a book. I'm just going to give her a call or, you know, reach out by email and say, would you like to be on this podcast? And you said yes. That's perfect. Excuse my answering machine in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything you want to plug, Ginger, in terms of your product line? Yeah, we have a really exciting new product coming out. Um, so we have a few CBD products in the line now. We have a charcoal mask, we have a serum, and we have a lotion. But um, I've been kind of dreaming of a facial oil because I think so many people now are realizing that facial oil is, you know, it has such amazing qualities because if you choose the right oils, it mimics your own skin's oils and it doesn't make you greasy, but it just moisturizes and makes you glow. So um, we have this new product. It is going to be jojoba, squalene, um, shea butter esters, argan oil, CBD, and then two amazing actives. Um, one is Volufil line, which is kind of like it has a Botox effect. Um, and then there's another ingredient that plumps the skin. So when we, when I was doing the R&D on this product and I would like pat this on um, at night before bed and then I would put my moisturizer over top, I wake up in the morning like, thinking that I had a whole new you know, glow about me. It's just a really amazing product. So we are releasing that in September and I am super excited about it because it just incorporates every anti-aging gem that I could think of. So look for that in September. And then um, if anybody was interested in uh, getting in touch with you, how do they do that either by web, Instagram, Facebook? Yeah. So um, our Facebook is dermamedsolutions.com. Same for Instagram. My um, email address is G Downey, D-O-W-N-E-Y, <laughs> took me a minute to spell my name, G-O-W-N-E-Y, G Downey, um, at dermamedsolutions.com. <laughs> All right. But if you didn't catch that, it's long. Get me through the Facebook page. I'm always on the Facebook page or the Instagram, and I'll answer you there. A big thanks to Ginger. I really enjoyed our conversation and all the wisdom she had to share. Being a nutritionist, Ginger prides herself on providing all natural products that are free from potentially dangerous additives and preservatives and all the DM skincare products are made in the United States. You can reach Ginger via email at gdowney at dermamedsolutions.com or you can find Dermamed on Facebook and Instagram or you can visit their website at dermamedsolutions.com. I'm Cheryl Stroud and you've been listening to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast. You can follow Stroud Skin Institute and Cheryl M. Stroud on Instagram or visit us at stroudskinstitute.com on the web. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me soon for another Stroud Skin Institute conversation. Thank you for listening.